listening to a Southside Baptist Church podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website, ssbaptistchurch.com. We're looking at a series called Good to Great. I stole the title from Jim Collins. He wrote a book called Good to Great. And we're talking about what makes a great church. Okay, what makes a great church? And I've been reading a, a book also by a man by the name of Reggie McNeil. And Reggie McNeil said in America Today, he said, we're suffering from churchianity versus Christianity. And so I want to rephrase that. And I want to retitle this series. So we're going to have to go back and tweak it a little bit and even go on the internet and do that. We're going to call it not only good to great, but how to make a great Christian. Not just how to make a great church. And that's what we're looking at today. So if you have your Bibles... I invite you to take them and turn to Luke chapter 9. Luke 9, verses 18 through 27. I believe that in this verse right here, in these verses, it is a critical moment in the life of Jesus Christ and His followers. Luke chapter 9, verses 18 through 27. Now, all of you know I'm, a, I'm an Andy Griffin-aholic. Uh, uh, I, I, I know most every Andy Griffin, know the programs, know the stories. And there's one that I love. It is one in which they're going to crown Miss Mayberry. I don't know how many of you remember that. Gonna, they're going to crown Miss Mayberry. And, and so what happens is Andy's going to be the judge. And Andy knows, man, this is not a good thing. He does not want to be the judge of this, you know. Well, the next thing he knows, everybody's coming. You know, I mean, every woman in, this, in the town of Mayberry is coming. Every mother's bringing her daughter. And I mean, they're just coming in and out and constantly. And it's just overwhelming almost. And then he gets, uh, you know, he gets people mad at him. And he's in the middle of all of this. And, and everything's just kind of, just, just really kind of bothering Andy. So finally, Andy's trying to figure out who Miss Mayberry is. And there's this old woman, this little senior adult lady, this precious little lady, a widow lady by herself, She's been making the costumes for the event, for the, for the big celebration where they're going to crown Miss Mayberry. And one day he's watching her and she's all excited and she's put all this work in these uniforms and these costumes and she's done all of this. And finally it just hits him. You know what? That sacrificial sweet spirit, that kind demeanor, just everything about her to Andy Griffith just looks absolutely beautiful. And so Andy says this. When he gets ready to announce it, boy, here's all these mothers. They're there with their daughters. Here's all these women. They're gathered. You know, they're all there. And, and Helen is there. And I think it's Helen. I can't remember which one. You know, he had more than one girlfriend during the series. But anyway, she's kind of, don't pick me, you know. They'll think you just did it because it's me. And finally, Andy Griffith looks at this, this little sweet little woman that's done all this work. And he says, Miss So-and-so, he said, I'd like for you to come up here. And he crowns her Miss Mayberry. Oh, you can hear some of the women boo-hoo and some of the younger women crying and falling on their mamas. But there was something very valuable to that. And it was simply this, that sometimes what makes us beautiful as a Christian, what makes us a great Christian is what Christ is talking about here. So I want you to look at that in Luke chapter 9, beginning at verse 18. Once when Jesus was praying in a private, in a private place, his disciples were with them, or with him, he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? They replied, Some say that you're John, am I right? Luke 9, verse 19. Luke 9, verse 19. They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others that one of the prophets of long ago have come back to life. 
But what about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? Peter answered, the Christ of God. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone because it wasn't the time yet. And he said, the Son of Man... Now look at verse 22. He said, the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, chief priests, teachers of the law, and he must be killed on the third day and then be raised to life. Now look at verse 23. Underline it, circle it. Dog ear the page of your Bible. Never forget it. Look at verse 23. Then he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whosoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it if a man could gain the whole world and yet lose his soul or forfeit his very self? If anyone is ashamed of me, and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him. And when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels, I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much that you love us, that you care about us, that you know our needs. And Lord, we pray today that as we look within our own hearts and we try to discern and determine what your Holy Spirit is wanting to say to us. You have brought us here by divine appointment. We may never stand in this sanctuary again. This may be the only time that your Holy Spirit may speak as clearly as He will speak in a moment. So Lord, we pray that our hearts are prepared and made ready. And we pray, dear Lord, that the lessons that we learn that will go deep within our soul and change us from the inside out as we sometimes sing. And God will give you the glory. Now Lord, bless your messenger. I pray, dear Lord, that you fill me with your Holy Spirit. If there's anything that in any way would interfere with that, that you cleanse me and forgive me and make me a vessel that you can use. And we give you all the honor and glory. Lord, we love you. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Well, I want you to know something. Reading Reggie McNeil's book, it's called Six Great Problems That Face the Church of Today. He talks about this thing, churchianity versus Christianity. And he says this, he said, you know, the wrong question is this. It's not how to make a, it's not how to make a great church member. He said the question is better worded this way. It's how to make a great follower of Jesus Christ. And, and this is what Jesus is dealing with here. So we're kind of making a mid, a kind of a mid-series correction here. Now, our text today is exactly that. Because in Luke 9, 23, Jesus is talking here about being a follower of Jesus Christ. My sister was having surgery, cancer surgery. The doctor came in to do that surgery. And she said before the doctor started, she said, Doctor, could I ask you something? He said, go right ahead. She said, are you a Christian? He said he looked at her for a minute, studied her, and then he said... uh, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. 
My sister said he, she learned something. That the context of, of, the, of the term Christian has become so generic, sounds more like a club membership in a church, that he wanted to clarify that he was a follower of Jesus Christ. And boy, what a powerful statement. She went on to say this, that cancer doctor, when it came time before he left that room, guess what he did? This prominent doctor down in Florida said he got down on his knees, he put his hands up over, her, over where he was going to do surgery, he put his hands together like that, and my sister said he began to pray like a follower of Jesus Christ. You see, there's a difference. And that's what we're looking at today. And so here we have Jesus. He has gathered His disciples. He has nailed down to them the clear understanding of His identity. They must know beyond a shadow of a doubt who He is. It is critical that every one of those disciples be able to say what Peter said. You are the Christ. You are the Christos. You are the Messiah. You are the one that the Old Testament prophets have looked to. You're the one that we're worshiping right now. You are Christ, the Son of the living God. And once he had nailed down that, made it very clear, then he begins to further expand on his suffering, the crucifixion, then he comes to that critical question, and it's a call to sacrifice. And that's our first point today, a call to sacrifice. Jesus, look at verse 22. I think it's kind of, to me, it's kind of funny. Because in verse 22, he says, The Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, chief priests, teachers of the law. He must be killed, and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them, If any one of you would come after me. Do you see it? Isn't it kind of strange? Who would want to come follow somebody that has just told you that he's getting ready to be suffer? He's getting ready to suffer. He's getting ready to be abused. He's getting ready to be tormented. He's getting ready to be alienated from all the rest of the of, of the nation of Israel. And, and he, then he's going to be crucified. And hey, if you want to follow me, come on. Wow. I thought to myself, Jesus, surely you have a better enlistment process strategy than this one. He would have made a poor recruiter in the military. Because I can tell you one thing, the military for the most part doesn't do that. But I like this because there's no mincing of words. There's no watering it down. This is straight talk, honest, raw, and open. He said, this is what I'm getting ready to go through. Now, if you want to follow me, you've got to be prepared to do the same thing. Look at what he says in verse 23. As soon as he tells them that he's going to suffer, he's going to be killed, and on the third day he's going to rise from the dead. Then in verse 23, then he said to them all, what's the first word there? Let's say it together. If. Let's say it louder than that. Yeah. Amen. A little bit loud. Yeah. If. Then he said to them all, if. It's conditional. You see, this was conditional. It was based on the understanding that every person that was in the ear, in earshot here, in the company of his voice, they had a choice to make. He wouldn't bully them. He wouldn't browbeat. He wouldn't use guilt. He wouldn't force. He wouldn't try to talk them into it. He wouldn't coerce them. He said, listen, this is a decision that you're going to make and you're on your own. 
And I love this. Jesus said, and I'm not going to beg you. Wow. Doesn't sound like the average church pleading for members today, does it? Won't you come? Won't you come join with us? We've got so much to offer to you. Because that's the way most people come nowadays. What do you have to offer my children? What do you have to offer my youth? What do you have to offer married couples? What do you have to offer people my age? What kind of activities do you have? What, you know, and on and on the list goes. We are materialistic. We're comfortable. It's all about me. How can you people make me more comfortable? But my friend, Jesus comes a very opposite here. It is, it is, it is a conditional statement. And he won't bully, browbeat, guilt force, won't coerce, won't beg. He said, if any, it's conditional. It's based on the understanding that there is a choice to be made. And listen, there are prerequisites to be understood, even if you choose to take it up. Wow. Stay with me here. Jesus was saying there is a price to be paid when you follow Him. And there's no getting around it. You'll have to give up time. You'll have to give up energy. You'll have to give up resources. You're going to have to sweat in order to follow me. That's what He was saying here. Look at Luke chapter 14. Take a right, go over to Luke 14. Look at Luke chapter 14 beginning at verse 25. I want you to see this. And you've got it up on the screen there. And we've got it in the NIV up there. And that's what I think what I'm, that's what I'm preaching out of. Luke chapter, Luke chapter 14, look at verse 25. In Luke chapter 14, verse 25, he said, Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, Now everybody look this way. Now if you don't believe this, go to John chapter 6 later on. Don't do it now, but go on later on. In John chapter 6, we have the story of just multitudes, thousands of people following him. Jesus began to say, in seminary we call it the hard sayings. I remember one time, I hate to tell you this, because you'll misunderstand it, maybe think of it the wrong way, but I remember one time G, uh, Jeffrey, uh, made, he, he went upstairs and, and he was going to read all the sayings of Jesus. He read all the things that Jesus had ever said and he came back down, he sat down, and he looked kind of bothered a little bit. And I said, son, what's wrong? He said, you know, Dad, and he kind of stalled, you know, Dad, he kind of stalled again. And finally he said, you know, Dad, Jesus sounds kind of mean. In seminary, we call that the hard teachings, the hard sayings. There's a course that specifically identifies the hard sayings of Jesus Christ. Because they're hard. And here you have in Luke chapter 14, because see, this is the opposite of today's church. We're doing everything we can to reach out and, 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 and say, we'll, we'll just do whatever we can if you'll just come. But look what Jesus says in, in Luke 14, 25. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. Turning to them, He said, He had a way of cutting large crowds down. He always did it. He was always trimming the ranks, cutting the crowd, getting rid of the fluff. Why? Most problems in the church are caused by the fluff. 
These are people that are not serious about following Christ. They're not serious about the mission of the church, the Great Commission. They're not serious about lost people and seeing people come into the kingdom of God. They're not serious of sacrificially serving Christ. It's about me. It's about me. But not Jesus here. Large crowds were gathering and I'm sure His disciples were saying, listen, Lord, in a minute we're getting ready to take up the offering. Whatever you do, don't say one of those hard, one of those hard sayings of yours before the ushers give work, okay? Let's bleed this thing for what we can get out of it before you go mess it up by talking about all this hard stuff. And we know what happens every time you do this, people leave. So at least give the ushers the chance to receive the offering. But no. No. Jesus wasn't hanging on to a large crowd here. He was going to trim the ranks. He said in verse 26, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and his mother, his wife, his children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Did you see what he says there in verse 26? He didn't say he will not, he might not. He says he cannot. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Wow. Paul in Ephesians 6 talks about war. He goes on in that passage, we don't have time, but he goes on down in that passage to talk about a man who's getting ready to go to war. And First he sits down and he counts the cost. We are in a spiritual war. Do you understand that? This is serious. I preached last night at First Baptist Church of Flowood on a Saturday night service they have there. I was telling them of watching the Weather Channel. You know, Weather Channel is the safest thing for a man to watch. Man, you want to get your, get your devotional life right, just watch the Weather Channel all the time. Sheila looks at me and says, you know, it's not, the forecast is not going to change. Just how many times are we going to watch the forecast? But we just leave it on there all the time, and so... Uh, uh, I, I, I couldn't sleep one night. I got up during the night. I went in there, sat down in the living room and laid down on the couch and there was a weather channel. I had the weather channel on. And it was a documentary on World War II veterans. And they were talking to these men that were now old men, elderly men, who back years ago, 18, 19, 20, 21 years of age, were in the Battle of the Bulge. And as I told them last night, I'm not talking about a diet program here. There actually was a battle there. It was, on, it was on the Belgian side of the German-Belgian line there. And they were talking to these old World War II veterans of how harsh the winter was. The winter was so bad that General Patton called the head of the chaplains and he said, come here. He said, write me a prayer because what had happened is the U.S. troops were hemmed in. They were completely surrounded in Belgium by the German army. And they couldn't, they couldn't escape. And the Germans were just picking them off. These, young, these old men were saying that they would see a U.S. soldier said he would get shot by a German and he would freeze in the stance that he had been shot. In other words, they said it was an eerie feeling to walk through that combat field and to see a soldier with his weapon still drawn had been shot in the head and froze in that position. They couldn't get aerial they could, because it was clouds and the winter was unbelievable. They could not 
free those soldiers. It was the most critical battle perhaps in World War II. General Patton told his chaplain, he said, write a prayer and do it now. He said, we need a prayer and we need it now. They sent a prayer out to all the soldiers and they said, every soldier pray this prayer at Christmas. At Christmas Eve and Christmas, pray this prayer. Listen to this. The skies begin to clear. Aerial assaults begin to come in. It freed up and allowed the U.S. troops to then go into Germany and conquer them. They were interviewing one old man. He was a commander. He was one of the men. They were interviewing a couple of men. This guy was 19 years old in the middle of the battle. And they asked him this question. They said, did you ever think about retreat? He said, we couldn't. He said, we could not retreat. And he went on to make this statement. I thought this was interesting too. The commander was still alive. The commander was 26 years old at the time of this battle. 26 years old. He was commander of these troops. They said that they had one, they had one soldier that complained and griped, complained and griped, complained and griped, complained and griped. Here they were, they were pinned in. They had nowhere to go. They were in the middle of a great battle. Complain and gripe, complain and gripe, complain and gripe. And that commander said, how did you stop it? That commander said, I walked over and he said, I took an M1. He said, in the middle of a battle and I put it that far from that man's head. And I told that man, said, sir, if you say another word, I'll blow your head off right here, right now. Well, no more complaining. Why? Because there was a war. And that, that old man said we couldn't afford in the middle of that war to have somebody that was destroying the morale of those troops. You see, Jesus was reminding these people that they were in the middle of a war. Now, let me say this. If you're a Christian, if you're baptized and you've joined the church and you've surrendered to Christ, then hear me. You have already entered an agreement. You have signed on the dotted line. You have put your John Hancock there. In essence, you are a follower of Jesus Christ, even if you think you're not, if you call yourself a Christian. There's no loophole. You see, we live in a culture today where we want relationships without responsibility. We want a relationship with somebody, but we don't want a responsibility with that. We have guys, they want to sleep around, impregnate here, impregnate there, get this girl pregnant, that girl pregnant, but they don't want no responsibility in their relationship. My friend, dogs do that. But every relationship carries responsibilities. And Jesus was saying that. He said, if any man will come after me, if you're going to be a follower of me, then there's some prerequisites. He says this, look at verse 23. He said, if anyone would come after, uh, Luke 9, 23, if anyone would come after me, he must do what? He must deny himself. This word is used in another place. In Luke 22, 54 through 57. Do we have that, Michael? There it is. Boy, Michael, you're doing a great job. It, this, this word is used here. It said that seizing him, they led him away, took him into the house of the high priest. Now this is when Jesus is arrested and put on trial. Peter followed at a distance. But when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard, had sat down together, Peter sat down with him. Now let's go on. 
A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him. But he, that is Peter, denied it and said, Woman, I don't know him. That's what he said. That's the only other time this word is used, deny. You know what Jesus was saying? If you and I are going to follow Jesus Christ, the prerequisite is this. We have to look at ourselves and we have to say, I don't know that man anymore. I don't know me. I know Christ. That's what Paul said. I don't know Paul. Paul said, I know Christ and Him crucified. It's no longer about me. In fact, those words, me, my, and I, are no longer in the vocabulary of a believer. Because I am so identified with Christ. Quote, that I wrote down here said, Today so many are just not happy. They're unfulfilled in their, unfulfilled in their marriage, in their home, in their job, in their membership in the local church. Why? Because their investments are temporal. They're about themselves rather than eternal and about Christ. Wow. Luke 9, 25, Jesus said, What is it profit if we could gain the whole world and lose our soul? You cannot be a follower of Jesus Christ and continue with your rights, your privileges, and your thoughts. It just doesn't work that way. Jesus said the believer gets up and he looks in the mirror and he says, I don't know that man. Now real quickly and we'll close. The second prerequisite is take up your cross. In other words, there is a personal, just made for you, listen, an assignment, an a, task that, a task that God has entrusted into you. He's given to you. Nobody else can do it. God has called you in the body of believers to take up a mission, to take up a ministry that nobody else in the body of believers can do but you. I wrote this down. This is the act. What does it mean to take up a cross? Listen to this. This is the act of carrying the horizontal beam to the place of crucifixion past a mocking, jeering crowd ready to die a shameful death. People will say to me, sometimes I'll speak somewhere and they'll say, you know, Brother Jeff, aren't you afraid? It's dangerous over there in South Jackson. Aren't you afraid? Folks, hear me. The safest place for you and I to be is in the will of God. You see, that, that's, a, that's a silly question there. I have a sovereign God. Jesus said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the age. Jesus said, listen, everywhere you go, I'm right there with you. He says he's sovereign. He says, I hold you in the palm of my hand. No man can pluck you out. He says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So let me ask you something. Is there any place in the world that you and I can go to that we have to be afraid and fear and live in anxiety not worrying about somebody hurting us? Absolutely not if it's God's will. All we've got to do is stand up every morning look in the mirror and say, it's not me, my, and I. I don't know that man. All I know is Jesus and Him crucified. Paul said that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His what? Of His suffering. Jim Elliott said this, because the danger here is, is for some of us, we're always planning. Well, when I retire, then I'm going to. Or when I get this paid off, then I'm going to. Or when I get my education, then I'm going to. Or when I, when I get married, then I'm going to. Or when I get a little bit older, then I'm going to. You know what the International Mission Board says to those people? What are you doing right now? 
Because if you're not doing it right now, you're not going to do it later. Jim Elliott said this, the great martyr, the one who gave his life, said, wherever you are, be all there. Wherever you are, be all there. Because you don't know if you have tomorrow. You don't know if you'll see graduation. You don't know if you'll see next year. You don't know if you'll see the kids grown. You don't know if you'll be at that moment where you're at financial stability. Jim Elliott said, be there right now, doing what God's called you to do. Jesus said, if any man will come after me, deny himself, take up his cross. Raymond Brown said in a book called Skilled Hands, Studies in the Life of David, said of David's fighting men, said their duty was to obey the king's instruction and to trust his wisdom. It meant that they were going into a life of hardship, insecurity, privation, suffering, and possibly death. But they would be with the king, and that was enough. Someone was talking to a great scholar about a younger man. He said to the great scholar, he said, I hear that so-and-so tells me that he's one of your students. The great teacher or lecture scholar interrupted and said, he may have attended my lectures, but he's not one of my students. Some people are attending the lectures of Jesus, but they're not a student. Eugene Peterson said this. He said, discipleship is anything that causes what is believed in the heart to have demonstrable consequences in our daily life. One writer said this, It is impossible for God, whether by His Son, and I love this. This was John MacArthur that said this. I, I tell you, it got me. He said, It is impossible for God, whether by His Son, or by the changed lives of His believers, to come into the midst of an anti-God society without there being hostility, reproach, and oppression. Jesus said, in the world you will have what? Tribulation. Listen to what he went on to say. When holiness meets unholiness, a violent reaction is inevitable. I was talking to a couple of men a moment ago. Uh, Steve texted me a couple days ago. Tim Tebow, first round Denver Broncos. You would think Tim Tebow's the most horrible human being on the earth. If you listen to the NFL, if you listen to commentary, if you listen to sportscasters today, listen, they have chewed him up and spit him out. They said he'd be lucky to go at all. So Tim Tebow didn't even show up. Folks, let me do like a teacher. Put your thinking caps on for a minute. I want to challenge you to do something. Go to high school stats. Look at the statistic of the stats at high school level and see who set nearly every record. Guess who holds the BCS record for bowl games of any bowl game, the most yardage? See who holds the, all the records. It's just unbelievable the number of records Tim Tebow holds. This is not about football. 
This is not about a man and his talent. This is not about Tim Tebow. This is about a spiritual war taking place and the danger of a man of God sold out to Christ, a follower of Jesus Christ, out there in the middle of the NFL, and we don't want that. And all hell is lifting up a revolution against it. Why? Because every once in a while, the NFL, Hollywood, somebody gets somebody that cannot be bought and will not be intimidated. Listen to that statement again. When holiness meets unholiness, a violent reaction is inevitable. Paul said to Timothy before he died, his last letter to his young preacher boy, he said, Timothy, and indeed all who listen to this, young people, please listen. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Some of you are not persecuted because you don't desire to live godly. That's why you're not persecuted. Nobody's bothering you. I can tell you why nobody's bothering you because hell could care less. You know what the demons say down there in hell? Leave him alone. He's He's our best testimony. He's our witness. Let him keep fouling and GD this and GD this. Let him continue to flirt and sleep with whatever he wants to. Let him carry on down there at the office. Let her sit there and make goo-goo eyes at some guy that she's not married to. Let him go ahead and play his game and her game. They're a member of the church. They're our best testimony. One day they'll stand before Christ and Christ will say, I never knew him. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. Now there's a big difference, folks, between being a Christian and being a follower of Jesus Christ. Take up your cross. That's not a lost spouse, a nagging wife, rebellious kids, or a job you don't like. It's, listen to this, taking up your cross is a willingness to endure the shame, rejection, persecution, and even death for the sake of Christ. Listen to this statement. Not all the apostles were martyred, but all we're willing to be. Let's stand.